0: Please take out your Bibles as the kids are being dismissed and turn to the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 2 of the book of Luke. We're going to look at verses 25 through 35, which can be found on page 857 in the Pew Bible. I do want to thank you again for joining us for worship this morning. Normally, what we're doing in this time is we're working through whole books of the Bible. Uh, we believe that the Bible is God's Word we believe that the Bible is God speaking to us and so we believe that the heart of the worship service is the preaching of that word as we take a text of scripture and as we explain what it means and then we try to apply it to our lives we believe that God speaks and we believe that he does so through this book it's living and it's active God works through it so we love to read his word we love to hear his word we love to meditate On His Word. This is how we hear from God and how we know Him. And thus, it's central to our loving of God. You cannot love that which you do not know. So, we want to know God. We do that by listening to Him in His Word. And then, we want to love Him for what we know of Him. So, we work slowly, verse by verse, through books of the Bible in this time. But we finished a book last week. We finished the book of Philippians. My family and I are going to be away in North Carolina next week for vacation, and then we're going to pick back up in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, on the first Sunday of the year, on January 5th. So what do we do today? What do we do in the interim? Well, obviously it's Christmas, so I want to take this opportunity to hopefully help and clarify Christmas. There's a lot of Christmas confusion out there. I I like the holidays. I'm accused sometimes of being a Scrooge, and I am, uh, but not completely. I enjoy the holidays. I like the lights. We took our girls in on Thursday to wander around and see the lights and the trees and uh, the frozen light show on Saks Fifth Avenue and all the nice things. It was freezing cold, um, but we, we had a good time. It was nice. I'm not complaining about it. I enjoyed it. But the question is, what does all of that have to do with Christmas or don't judge me. We watched the movie Elf uh, with our girls. I think that's a hilarious movie. Uh, plus, it takes place in our city, so we love things in New York City. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Right? That's, what the, that's what the choir's going to do here in a few minutes. That's nice. I like that. But again, the question is, what in the world does the silly little movie Elf have to do with Christmas? We're going to take a 10-hour long drive down the coast. Tomorrow, and there's going to be food, and there's going to be gifts, and there's going to be family. Again, what does all of that have to do with Christmas? It can be very confusing. What is it that we are really celebrating? It's not always clear. And so while there's no place in the Bible that says, hey, Christmas is on December 25th. Um, Make sure and make it a whole big deal with lots of wrappings and trappings and all that. Well, the Bible is clear that the thing we say that we are celebrating at Christmas is the most important thing that has ever happened happened so what was that and what does it mean well surely we know by now that jesus is the reason for the season we've got to make sure we've got to put christ back in christmas Uh, we know from all the pageants that it's something to do with the birth of this baby but who was this baby jesus really what was he born to do and what does that mean for us today two thousand years later Well, those are the questions that I want to attempt to briefly answer, and I want to do so from a somewhat obscure spot for many of us. I actually want us to look at a story of the baby Jesus, but a story that happens 40 days after the birth of the baby Jesus. But this should still count as a Christmas story. Uh, We count the wise men as part of the Christmas story, but they didn't show up till probably about two years later. Uh, So go home to your nativity scene. Take out the wise men. And take out the, angel, uh, the, the star. They weren't there. That happens like two years later. So I feel justified in looking on Christmas Sunday at a story that happens 40 days after the birth of Jesus. Because this story tells us a lot about what that birth means and who this child is. So all we're going to try to do in a, free, a few short minutes this morning is Hebrews 12.3. Is I want to get you to consider Christ. This is not something that you just need to do on Christmas Day, but every day. But Christmas, rightly understood, does give us a unique opportunity to specifically consider Christ. Who is this Jesus that we say that we're celebrating at Christmas? What does he come to do? How does that relate to you? All right, we're going to do that by looking at the story of a man named Simeon. Simeon was not an important man. Uh, Simeon... uh, Probably wasn't a priest. Everyone thinks Simeon was a priest because he goes to the temple. Text never says that. I think this is just a regular guy, a lay person that loves God, is more importantly loved by God, and that God then uses mightily to teach us something important about Jesus. Simeon is going to do two things in our passage. He is going to praise, and then he is going to prophesy. He sees Jesus, he looks at what is before him, and he praises But then he looks at what is before Jesus and he predicts. He tells us in a few short words, many important things about this child that we need to know. So three points to try and help us understand who this Jesus is. What will he do and how that relates to you? I want you to see that Jesus will reveal your heart. I want you to see that Jesus will either ruin or raise your heart And then I want us to see at the end that Jesus alone can save your heart. That's what we're going to try to do in the next 15 minutes, 20, 25 minutes. Let's read the text. This is the most important part. Look down there at Luke chapter 2. You will be helped greatly if you have this open in front of you. My job is to explain to you this word and what it says. So make sure what I'm saying comes from this. Follow along as I read for you in Luke chapter 2, 25 through 35. And I want you to pay attention to this, because this is what God wants to say to you this morning. Luke writes in verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Let's stop there, and let's begin first by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak. We thank you that you speak through these words, these words that are living and active, these words that mediate to us your presence. Father, you are with us through your word. Father, you do mighty and amazing things through your word. Father, my words are so weak, insufficient father your word is living and active your word does not return to you void father you save lives and you change lives Uh, you bring comfort you bring joy you do all of these things through your word as you reveal your son through it so father we ask now that you would help us help me in the preaching of your word uh, to show christ father help us in the hearing of the word to see Christ. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Use this time to increase our love for Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. All right. We're going to actually work backwards through the text. We're going to start at the end and then we're going to work back toward the beginning. Simeon starts with praise, but I want to end with the praise because Simeon ends with some pretty heavy stuff. But I want us to see how this pretty heavy stuff actually is still a cause for much joy. So if the praise part is verses 29 through 32, the prophecy part is verses 33 through 35. We're going to focus there first, but let's lay out the context by quickly looking at verses 25 through 28. As I mentioned in the beginning, there is no indication that Simeon is anyone of note some just assume that he's a priest because he's coming to the temple. But the text never says that. Verse 25 tells us that we are in Jerusalem. We are in Jerusalem. Verse 22, because Joseph and Mary have come to the temple for her purification and for her baby Jesus' dedication. They are, as Luke says, three times in those verses, obeying the law of the Lord. But as they enter into the temple, we are then introduced for the first time to this man, Simeon. And we're told three main things about this mystery man in verse 25. First is that he was righteous and devout, meaning he was a believer. We'll talk about this later. But Paul tells us in Romans 3.10 that no one is righteous, no, not one. Well, here it says that Simeon was righteous. Which means then that he was not right or right with God in and of himself, but that he was righteous in the only way that anyone has ever been righteous, by grace through faith. More on that in a moment. But right now, uh, we see that he was a man who believed in and trusted in the Lord. He was a man of faith. That's what this means. And in verse 25 tells us, second, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel or the comfort of Israel what does that mean? Again, more on that in a second. And then finally, we're told that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And so it's the Holy Spirit in verse 27 that leads Simeon to the temple at just the right time. Just as Joseph and Mary are bringing their son into the temple, Simeon comes in and then Simeon, he sees him. And this is what Simeon has been waiting for. We don't know how long. And we don't know exactly what Simeon knew. He knew that he would see the Lord's salvation. He knew that he would see the Messiah. He's probably waiting for some sort of warrior-like, impressive king-like figure or something. But then he sees a baby. And in some way, he knows that this baby is the one. This is what he has been waiting for. This is what he has been living for. And so this strange old man... This stranger comes up to Mary and Joseph and somehow asks if he can see and hold their uh, 40-day-year-old son. Uh, I don't let strangers hold my baby. Uh, that's weird. If you ask me to hold my baby, I'm going to tell you no. Uh, stranger danger. Don't hold my baby. But the spirit is involved. So they hand Jesus over, and the old man holds and beholds. The baby, Again, this, this baby, this, the one that this whole thing is about, he holds, he beholds, and then he speaks. I think this is pretty cool. The sun is in his arms, and the spirit is upon him. It's a pretty unique uh, experience here. And that's how he's able to say what he says in verses 33 through 35. These are not just Simeon's words. Simeon cannot see the future. These are the spirit's These are God's words himself looking forward and telling us about the future, telling us about the future of this baby. And he tells us, look at the end of verse 34, that he will be a sign that is opposed. Skip the parentheses, parentheses, it's a hard word to say, in verse 35, skip that, a sign that is opposed so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So first off, our first point is that there is something about this child that will incite opposition. That'll, that'll be the next point. But in so doing, he will reveal the thoughts of many hearts. Jesus reveals hearts. And just to make sure we're not being too vague or abstract, Jesus will reveal your heart. What you think about Jesus and how you respond to him is a revelation of, Of your heart. And again, that's our word today. I titled the sermon just in wonderful, sappy Christmas spirit, The Heart of Christmas, right? Nice and sentimental sounding. That could be a Hallmark movie title. Um, But I want to draw your attention uh, to the use of that word there in the title, The Heart of Christmas, because uh, we often get confused about what the heart is. When we think heart today, we think feelings, and we think emotions. The head is where we think. The heart is where we feel. Again, that's not how the Bible uses the word heart. The thing here in your chest doesn't do anything but pump blood. That's important. Of course, you need blood. But this is not where you feel. One of my favorite jokes, and I use it a lot, is that if you feel something here in your heart, go to the hospital. You're probably having a heart attack. Right? We don't feel here. So it's not head, thoughts, hearts, emotions. Notice what it is that Jesus reveals in verse 35. He reveals the thoughts of the heart. You see, in the Bible, the heart is not your feeling. In the Bible, the heart is your everything. The heart is your core. The heart is who you are. It is the seat of your feeling, yes, but also of your thinking and your willing. Your heart is you. You are physical, you have a body, and you are spiritual. You have a heart, or a mind, or a soul. The Bible uses all of those words. Your heart, most simply, is you. So, when I say that Jesus will reveal your heart, what I'm really saying is that Jesus will reveal you. He will reveal who you really are. Jesus reveals. We we know that Jesus is revelation. In John 1.1, we're introduced to Jesus as the Word of God, right? Words reveal who we are. You're getting to know something about me and what I'm like by, by listening to my words. So in calling Jesus the Word of God, we are being told that Jesus reveals God to us and what he is like. You want to know God? Well, look to Jesus, because Jesus is God. Colossians 1.15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus reveals God to us. But that's not what we're talking about right now. This verse tells us also that Jesus reveals you. It's Christmas, right? Everybody, Everybody looks really nice today. We've all put on our Sunday best, so we're all trying to look extra extra good. I, put on, I went with the black suit and the red tie. I don't wear red much, but I'm trying to be Christmassy. Um, the choir's dressed up so nicely. We've all got on our happy, smiling faces because it's Christmas. Joy to the world. Right? We're supposed to be happy at Christmas. We are, all of us, wonderful at dressing up and disguising who we are. We are experts at putting on a face, uh, of putting on a front, of making sure everything looks good on the outside, right? But you would be shocked to know some of what's going on on the inside of some of the people sitting around you that that look so nice. You'd be shocked by a full revelation of the thoughts of my heart. But it is this baby, Jesus, that will in some way peel all of that back and reveal who we really are. Why is that? Well, it's because of who he really is. It's the very reason we celebrate this thing because what the Bible says over and over again very clearly, and this is so important, is that this Jesus is not just some rabbi, he's not just some wise man, not just some teacher or miracle worker, but that he is God himself who has become man. He is perfect God, perfectly good, perfectly holy. And when we, who are not those things come into contact with that goodness, that holiness. Well, the great contrast between him and us will reveal us for who we really are. It reveals our lack of goodness or our lack of holiness. John 8:12 tells us that Jesus is the light. What does light do? It reveals. It exposes. Jesus reveals and he exposes. Jesus is the litmus test. Of life. How you respond to him. How you respond to his word. Reveals your heart. And it reveals who you really are. Have you, ever, have you ever experienced this. In the reading of God's word. In the encountering of Christ. Through that word. If you're a Christian. You have. Jesus we know is not here anymore physically. But he is very much with us. By his spirit. And again he mediates that presence to us. Through these words. These words that are not just Words, again, 4.12, Hebrews 4.12, they're living and they're active. They're sharper than any two-edged sword. They pierce to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow. These words discern the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That sounds like what Simeon tells us Jesus does. The word discerns, reveals our hearts. And if you know Jesus, you've experienced this philippians 2 verses 3 and 4 has just been wrecking me for about two or three years christians count others more significant than themselves and they look first to the interests of others and not their own interests man like how selfishly and sinfully short of that do i fall the word reveals and it judges and that word has pierced my heart and that's what jesus does through his word because he's god And what you think and what you feel and what you do about Jesus reveals who you really are. He reveals your heart. And he is doing that right now as you are being confronted with this Jesus through his word. So he will reveal your heart. But that's not all that he does. Number two, in revealing your heart, Jesus also then will either ruin or raise your heart. Look at the middle of verse 34. Simeon says there, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The fall and rising or the ruin and raising. Hey, what does that mean? That sounds kind of strange. Come on. It's, it's peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We're supposed to be all sweet and sentimental and sappy. But here's a Christmas text. Telling us about this baby that was born, that we are here to celebrate, telling us specifically what he has come to do. And we're told that he is appointed. He is specifically chosen and sent by God for the fall of many. Merry Christmas. Right? Sounds kind of strange. Christmas is Jesus coming into the world. Well, why did he come? Well, for many reasons. Uh, but we ignore many of them. We ignore the ones that we don't like. Uh, what about John nine thirty nine? Jesus specifically tells us why he came. For judgment, I have come into the world. Whoa. Uh, lots of people at this time of year, they send out Christmas cards, right? We send out Christmas cards. I'm, I'm fine. I, I like those. It would never happen if I didn't have a good wife who did all these things uh, for me. And we always put nice Christmas sayings on the front of the cards, right? Like, Merry Christmas, joy to the world, and peace on earth. Can you imagine one of these cards with at on it for judgment? I have come into the world. Here's my four smiley cute little girls. I'm gonna to try to get Melissa to do that next year. But that's one of the reasons that he came. What does that mean? What does it mean that this baby is appointed for the fall of many? Well, we'll keep our previous point in mind. Jesus reveals. What you do with Jesus reveals who you really are. Why? Again, because Jesus is God. He is light. He reveals. And you were made for God. That's why you exist. That's why you breathe. That's why you have life. You were made for him. This world is his world. We're going back to Genesis. In January, Genesis 1-1, he created all of it. It's his And then he created you. You are his. And he created you in his image and his likeness. He made you like him to live in his world, in relationship with him. But what have you done? What have I done? You've rejected him. You have lived your life as if you wanted nothing to do with the one who made you. I would be rightly offended If I perfectly loved for and provided for my four daughters, I of course do not do that perfectly. But say that I perfectly loved them and provided for them and just poured affection upon them and attention for them for 18 straight years. And then at the end of those years, they turn around and say, I hate you and I want nothing to do with you. I would be, I'd be kind of rightly upset about that. I'd be rightly offended. That's what we have all done to the God who is perfect. And the Bible calls this sin. you are not supposed to talk about sin at Christmas, but Christmas doesn't make any sense without sin. And sin is not just doing bad things. It is that, but it is so much more than that. Sin is the rejection of God and the rebellion against God. The God who is the creator, the God who is the king, the God who you owe everything to, the God who is also the lawgiver, who is perfectly holy and just. So God does not like and he cannot like sin. And you have sinned. All of us have sinned. None is righteous, but God is. And so to know him and be right with him, you, you have to be righteous, but you're not. We've sinned. We've rejected God. And since he is the author and giver of life, to reject God is to reject life. But do you know what he does after all of that rebellion, after all of that rejection, after a world of sin? Do you know what he does? Christmas is what he does. He, he comes. Christmas is God coming. The God who was rejected, the God who was rebelled against He comes, which is why, honestly, John 1 is my favorite Christmas text. The word Jesus was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Christmas is God taking on flesh and coming and dwelling among us. But verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him yet The world did not know him. Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. That's what we've all done. We have rejected God. We did that at the beginning. How does he respond to that? He graciously comes after us in Jesus Christ. And still many reject God. That is why Christ will be the ruin of many. Because God has now come in the flesh. God has now made himself uh, perfectly known in Jesus Christ. The God that you were made to know. And if you fully and finally reject him, this text tells us that he will reject you. For judgment, Jesus says, he has come into the world. You see, so in this verse... Where Simeon's looking at this baby. Simeon is telling us that Jesus is the dividing line of history. Jesus is the dividing line of humanity. He is the line in the sand. If you are not with him, then you are against him. And if you are against this baby, this baby who is God come in the flesh to this world, then Simeon tells us you will fall. You will experience the eternal ruin of your heart. This heart that was made to run on God, if you cut yourself off from that God in your sin, that heart will fall in to ruin. You cut yourself off from the fuel and the source of life, that heart will wither and die for eternity. Again, that's, that's pretty heavy. And I know, that's not normal Christmas fare. But it is God that tells us this through Simeon that Jesus is appointed for the fall and the ruin of many. So there's a warning here about Jesus and what you have done with him. But praise God that that's not the whole story. Last point, because Jesus alone can save your heart. And that's what Simeon ultimately means by the rising of many. This is what it means for Jesus to raise your heart. The word rising there in the Greek is used 42 times in the New Testament. You know how it's translated the other 41 times besides this one? It's resurrection. Every time. This is the Greek word for resurrection. The coming of Jesus Christ at Christmas will mean for you either ruin or resurrection. And so let's close by looking at that in verses 29 through 32. Here's the good news. The last point was a lot of bad news. Apart from Christ. Hey, let me, let's me let be clear on this. Apart from Christ, Christmas is nothing but bad news. God has come. If you're not with Christ, that is bad news. But we've got to see the bad news first if we're ever going to see the need for and then desire the good news, which is the gospel. And what is that? It is salvation. Look at verse 26. Simeon has been told that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Christ. Christ means Messiah. Christ means anointed one. Well, what would this Messiah do? Verse 25, remember that Simeon was waiting for the consolation or the comfort of Israel. It was the Messiah who was going to do that. Promised and predicted over and over again in the Old Testament. This one that God was going to send to Israel, to his people, the one that God was going to send to rescue them. And Now he has come. And again, he's a baby. He's a baby. None of them expected that. And so Simeon sees this and he understands and he worships and he praises God. He says, now I can depart. You know what that means? Now I can die. Now I can die happy. Why? Verse 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. And what does Simeon see? He sees a baby. And he says, my eyes have seen your salvation because this baby, Jesus, is salvation. He alone can save your heart. How? Okay, he has come. But how would he bring this salvation? This is where everyone got confused back then. And what about all that sin that we just talked about in the last point, that sin that we all have, that sin that separates us from the good and holy God of life, that sin that deserves and demands Death. Well, Simeon even hints at that, at the how of this salvation. Look at verse 35. We skipped the parentheses, but don't skip the parentheses. Now speaking to Mary, Simeon says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Why? Why would there be an unspeakable agony for Mary, in light of what this baby, her son, has come to do. Well, what can we know? We know the story. We know ahead of time. Because for Jesus to save your heart, Jesus had to die for your heart. So Simeon, at Christmas, is pointing us forward to Easter. He's pointing us forward to the cross. Because that is why Jesus came. Jesus came. He was born to die. And don't forget who he is. He is God who has taken on flesh. He is God come to rescue his people and to rescue his people from the one thing that mattered. Not Rome, not uh, political oppression, not financial poverty, not from your difficult boss, uh, not from your uh, difficult spouse, not whatever your bad circumstances are. Jesus came to rescue you from the one thing that mattered, sin. And since sin separates us from the God of life, since the wages of sin then is death for Jesus to save us from our sin, he had to take our sin and he had to die for our sin. And so Mary, in 30 some odd years after this, in watching the literal piercing of her son's hands with nails, of watching the literal piercing of her son's feet, with nails, of watching the literal piercing of her son's side with a spear. She will then herself be metaphorically pierced by a sword through her very soul as she stands and she watches her son suffer and die so that she and so that we could live. Simeon has seen Jesus and in seeing Jesus, Simeon has seen salvation. And so as we read earlier in Matthew 1, this name, this baby would be named Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins by taking their sins, by becoming sin for us and by dying in our place, which means Acts four twelve: There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which uh, men must be saved. And that's the heart of Christmas. Jesus has come to expose our hearts. And in exposing our hearts, he will be uh, the ruin of the hearts that reject him. But he will be the rising. He will be the resurrection of the hearts that accept him, the hearts that believe in him. Christmas tells us the awful truth that there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves. You think that you're a pretty good person, and you probably are. You're maybe a better person than I am. Uh, But listen, God is perfect, and to be with him, you have to be perfect, and you are not, and I am not even close, but Christ is, and that's why he comes, to be perfect for his people and to pay the penalty for his people by dying for his people. That's the only way that anyone can be saved. It's through the work of Jesus Christ in their place. And the only way to receive that work, to benefit from that work, is to do what Jesus says in the first words out of his mouth in the Gospel of Mark. There's Mark's Christmas story. Jesus says, repent and believe. He says, turn away from that sin and put all your hope and your trust in him. Do you trust him? Do you know him? Do you believe in him? I'm not asking if you agree with some facts about Jesus. I'm asking, do you love him? Do you treasure him? Do you see that he is everything? He is life. He is joy. He is peace. He is hope. He is the one who brings us to God himself. If if that's not true for you, the most important thing you could do this Christmas is to come to the Jesus who alone can save hearts and who saves lives. Sinners, nothing matters more than what you do with Jesus. The Bible tells us that your eternity is determined by what you do with Jesus. Life or death depends upon what you do with this Jesus. So yes, Merry Christmas. Yes, joy to the world. But what have you done with Jesus? How have you responded to him? Because if it's rejection or listen, if, it's just, if it's just apathy, if it's just death, What's the big deal? I get two weeks off? There's going to be some presents? Eh? Listen, I want to be clear. that There's nothing joyful or merry for you about the coming of Jesus Christ if you are not with him. There's nothing joyful or merry for you because Jesus came for the fall of many. But to receive him, to know him, to have your sins uh, washed away by him and be reconciled uh, to God by him, there's joy. That's, that's joy. Guys, I am a wretched sinner. I am. My only hope is this Jesus Christ who loves and saves wretched sinners. And that's the best news in the world. And that's what this thing is about. I don't care about the presents. I don't care about the candy. I don't care. All of those things. I want you to know this Jesus. And I want you to experience the freedom. From the guilt and the freedom from the death and the freedom from the separation from the God that you are made for. Relationship with him is what life is about. That's what you are made for. And if that's the case, that's the only place that you will find joy. That's what life is all about. And that's the life that Jesus came to bring at Christmas by giving his own life in death. And So my prayer And my desire for all of you is nothing more than that you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. If you have any questions about that, I'm going to be here all afternoon, and I would love to talk to you about that. There are people around you that would love to talk to you about that. Come ask me, what what in the world were you talking about? I'd love to tell you, because Jesus, guys, he's everything. And has taken me about 35 years to really start to get it. And I want you to know that Jesus, he is the heart of Christmas. Bow with me and let me close this time uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you for that grace that is demonstrated so clearly in the event that we are here to celebrate. Father, you show your graciousness and your kindness and your generosity in coming after the very sinners who rejected you and ran from you. So, Father, help us to see first, even in this Christmas season, uh, that this thing exists because of our sin, that this thing happened because of our sin. Father, that you had to come because we have run from you and we have rejected you. Father, we thank you, though, that you are kind to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have made a way for us to be rescued and to be restored. And that way is nothing that we do. That way is not our goodness. That way is not our rituals. That way is not our church attendance or whatever the things that we think that we do that can earn our favor with you. But Father, it's Jesus Christ. And it's Jesus Christ alone. So Father, I thank you for rescuing me from my sin. Father, I pray that you will rescue my daughters from their sin rescue these people, Lord, from your sin, their sin. Father, help us to take seriously what this whole thing is about. You have come for us, and that's the most important thing in the world. Father, help us to have joy this season, not because of any of the other things, but because of this thing, but because of Jesus Christ, and help us to find joy this day and every day because you have rescued us from our sins, and you have given us life everlasting, and you have given us relationship with you. Father, we love you. Help us to love you more. Father, we thank you for the choir. Father, help them now as they come to make Christ beautiful, uh, to show how wonderful and good and kind uh, he is. Father, show us that now through song. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.